Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining me this Thursday, November 3rd. First, I want to start with a huge thank you to the Democratic organizations in Grundy County, Kendall County, LaSalle County, for inviting WCPT out to uh, the Grundy County Democratic Headquarters, where we spent the day yesterday talking to candidates you are going to see on your ballot in those areas. You know, we um, we try to not just be completely Chicago-centric with what we do. Uh, we try to always bring you voices from DuPage, Kane, um, LaSalle, Will County, a lot of places outside of the city. And uh, yesterday was another example of our concentrating on some of those outside of the city areas that still have really important races that you need to know about. Thanks to Devin and Matt. Thanks to Lady B, who was back at the studio holding it all together. Uh, it was a delightful day. And um, and thanks to Tim Hogan and Mark Pinsky, who were both there as well, just in case we needed them, and uh, also to uh, help us eat food if if we felt the need to get sustenance <laughs> it was a it was a team effort it was a wcpt team effort and uh i think that it was a really interesting day thanks to everybody for making it happen okay L- you know we have an election you may you may have forgotten <laughs> you may have forgotten we have an election If you haven't voted by mail, if you haven't voted early, uh, you have today and tomorrow, well, you got a handful of days before November 8th. Please, if you have a mail-in ballot, last time I checked, um, and I've been asking county clerks in various locations, not just around here, And last I heard, there were only about 50% of the mail-in ballots that they had shown as returned. I know there's a lot on the ballot, and it may seem daunting. So fill out one page, take a break. Give yourself 10 minutes to look up some of the Bar Association ratings and fill out the judges. Decide what some of the issues are. Vote yes for the Workers' Rights Amendment. Vote yes for Mary Kay O'Brien or Liz Rochford if you find them on your ballot. But get those mail-in ballots back. And it it isn't just a question of filling out the little dots. That's important. But when you have a mail-in ballot, you have to make sure you sign it where you're supposed to sign it. And once you fold it up and put it in its little super special envelope that goes inside the mailing envelope, you have to make sure you read both all those envelopes. Every envelope you've got, read it, because you have to also sign and date the envelope. It would be a shame if your ballot got tossed simply because you didn't sign where you needed to sign. 
And I know in some cases I'm hearing that Board of Elections or County Clerk's Office are letting people know that they didn't do something right and giving them the chance to fix it. But that is not always the case. That is not always the case. You cannot count on that. So look it over carefully. Personally, I read it two or three times because I always get confused by those directions. Because uh, no, there's also a section where if, um, let's say, you're helping your mother who is blind fill out her ballot. So you are the one who is marking it all up and returning it. If somebody helps you with your ballot, if they are that you have to acknowledge that on the envelope. You have to do the instructions just as carefully as you fill out the ballot. If I can figure it out, anybody can figure it out. And I will admit, I frequently read the the instructions several times to make sure I understand what they are telling me to do. So there's that note. If you got a mail-in ballot, too many of you are letting it sit around. Fill it out. Make that the goal. The one thing that you're going to do for democracy today is finish that damn ballot and get it in the mail tomorrow. One other thing, I frequently tell you about surveys and polls. As we get this close to the election, if you find that interesting, great. Read about it. But I don't want you to have your spirits rise and fall based on whatever poll results you just read. First of all, as we learned in 2016, polling can be off. You know, a lot of people won't talk to pollsters. I happen to be one of them. They don't even call me anymore. I must be on their do not call list because they used to call back in the days when I had a landline especially and I would say, no, I don't give out any information over the phone. I mean, you know, my thinking was any idiot can call me and say, well, I'm a pollster. Do, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? So I, I've never felt comfortable giving out that kind of information over the phone. So there are people like me who just don't want to talk to them. For a while now, certain Republican officeholders and candidates among them Donald Trump, have thought it was really funny to tell people that when a pollster calls, they should lie. They should give them bad information just so the polls turn out to be wrong. And while Nate Silver's 538 was for many years, the he was the pollster that, you know, people really looked to and admired. I don't know if you heard Tom Hartman. I think this was a couple days ago. Tom was talking about how Republicans are doing their own partisan polling, which almost always shows things going their way, and somehow they are combining their numbers with 538 so that supposedly their partisan polling looks more legitimate. Those are the polls you see where uh, it's, oh, my gosh, let's just give up. There's going to be a Republican wave this midterm election. Well, you know what? There isn't. There is not. So be very careful and take polling. I might share it with you because I think there is an interesting result or something that we need to, you know, think about a little bit. But 
for the most part, I want you to take polls with a grain of salt. You know, because there have been a lot of polls that said, oh, well, you know, abortion's just not an issue anymore. What? What? And yet I can quote you polls that say, if it is not the number one issue, it is only separated from the number one issue by a percentage point. So, you know, come on, you know, use, use your head. Of course, abortion is still a big issue. And here's something else that I think is really interesting. I don't know um, if you remember this, but back in 2016, when everybody knew Hillary was going to win, it was like, we should don't even really need to bother to vote. It was such a sure thing that Hillary was going to win. Michael Moore, the very progressive, very activist filmmaker, Michael Moore was going on television and telling people, you better wake up to the fact that Donald Trump is going to win this election. And everybody was like, oh, Michael Moore, you're just, you know, you're crazy. You're being negative. You're re- being ridiculous. Every Everybody knows that's not true. But Michael Moore was saying, I'm telling you, Donald Trump is going to win this election. There's lots of stuff going on that the reporters out of Washington and the reporters in the mainstream media in New York, there's lots of things going on in this country they are not paying attention to. And I am telling you, he said it loud. He said it long. He said Donald Trump is going to win. We poo-pooed him and he was right. Michael Moore, I was just reading this morning, um, actually made a post and he was like, don't pay attention to the polling that you are seeing right now. Don't pay attention to the Republicans that tell you, well, that they've regained ground and it's going to be a, a, a red wave. He said, it's not true. He said, I believe Democrats are going to take these midterm elections. I believe that we are going to hang on to the House and hang on to the Senate. He didn't go into a lot of detail. And frankly, he didn't go into a lot of detail when he predicted that Donald Trump was going to win. But he's like, you know what? I'm not worried about this. We've got this. We've got a. It doesn't mean you can sit home. Because the people who sit home are are the people who have a tendency to put Democratic candidates over the top. So don't sit home. But don't. Don't have a dark soul, a dark night of the soul over what Republicans are saying. Of course, they want you to think they're winning. Of course, they want you to think that it doesn't matter if you vote or not. Republicans are going to take this. Of course, they want you to think that way and feel that way. Doesn't make it true. It makes it a very subtle, psychological, political tactic. Michael Moore said Donald Trump was going to win when nobody else said it. Michael Moore, as of this morning, said he believes that we are going to see Democrats win in record numbers. I believe him. You know, I believe him. And I also believe that a huge motivator of people who are maybe not regular midterm election voters is going to be abortion. I think people have gotten the message that who you vote for 
at every level of state government and all of your national representatives, that all ties in with the rights you do or do not have as a citizen. Oh, there's so much I want to share with you. And um, so let me take a break and get to it right after this. WCPT 820 is proud to introduce Heartland Signal, a multimedia newsroom of WCPT 820. Heartland Signal is dedicated to providing news coverage for the 2022 midterms in the Midwest region. At heartlandsignal.com, you can find all the day's news and views to keep you informed and up to date. If you love listening to WCPT 820, then you'll love getting your news from heartlandsignal.com. Visit us there today. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. One of the things that I want to share with you is a part of a speech that President Biden gave last night in Washington. He started it off, he started his remarks off by talking about the attack on Paul Pelosi, the husband, the 82-year-old husband of the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, was asleep in their San Francisco home when an intruder broke in and uh, was apparently wanted to try to tie Paul Pelosi up. Paul Pelosi managed to call 911. The police arrived, but at the time they arrived, there was apparently... A struggle over a hammer. The assailant got the hammer and fractured Paul Pelosi's skull. He had surgery. He is doing fine. But you know what? Fractured skull is nothing to sneeze at at any age, certainly not in an 82-year-old man. So President Biden started talking about how horrified he was by that. He also mentioned, apparently when the assailant broke into Nancy's house, He was yelling, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Sound familiar? The people who broke into the Capitol building on January 6th, some of them were chanting, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? President Biden started off by talking about how our violent rhetoric has given birth to violent action. And part of what's at the base of that are these lies that Republicans are telling, particularly the big lie that somehow Donald Trump did not lose the presidential race to Joe Biden. It is um, it's now just not more than a lie. It's a tactic. I mean, Carrie Lake running for governor in Arizona has said that if she loses, she will not promise to accept the results. She's planning And just as Donald Trump did, he was having discussions with people in October that if it looked like he was going to lose, he was going to say the election was was rigged. He planned it in October. Anyway, uh, President Biden talked about that and he talked about the importance of this election Yes, I know, Joan Esposito banging the drum again. And you know what? I'm going to continue to because this election is huge. But first, I want to share with you just a touch of what President Biden said about it last night. Listen to this. My fellow Americans, we're facing a defining moment 
an inflection point. We must, with one overwhelming, unified voice, speak as a country and say there's no place, no place for voter intimidation or political violence in America, whether it's directed at Democrats or Republicans. No place, period. No place ever. I speak today near Capitol Hill, near the U.S. Capitol, the citadel of our democracy. I know there's a lot at stake in these midterm elections, from our economy, to the safety of our streets, to our personal freedoms, the future of health care, Social Security, Medicare. It's all important. But we'll have our differences. We'll have our difference of opinion. And that's what it's supposed to be. But there's something else at stake. Democracy itself. Democracy itself. Thank you, President Biden. Couldn't have said it better myself. By the way, a little uh, programming note. You may have seen or heard one of our ads. We are going to be talking elections on November 8th. And I say talking elections more than I'm saying bringing you results because um, we don't know. We don't know with, you know, with so many people doing mail-in balloting and um, how quickly those are going to be counted. We honestly, we will bring you whatever results we have. But um, in the Washington Post, they're also, they're already reporting that if we look at the nation, it's, we could see a runoff election in Georgia. Um, Alaska's results aren't going to be available until later in November. In Wisconsin, Arizona, and Pennsylvania, mail-in ballots aren't counted until after Election Day. So we are going to see a number of races that simply aren't decided for a while. This is, and this is why I, I want to tell you this, because you have to be careful. Sometimes it is, you know, like when it was the presidential election, Donald Trump was always urging his supporters to not vote early, not vote by mail, but go there on Election Day. And he knew that meant early returns would show Republicans, namely him, ahead. He also knew that as those other ballots started being counted, Democrats vote by mail in far greater numbers than Republicans So as those mail-in ballots come in, he knew the tide would shift. That was why he said on election night that he was the winner and they should stop counting the votes. Just remember that? Remember when he said, just stop counting the votes? Because he knew when the rest of those votes were counted, they weren't going to go his way. So watch out for this. Watch out for Republicans like Kerry Lake in Arizona claiming an early victory. And then when the ballots are finally all counted and if it doesn't go her way, she's going to do the Donald Trump two step. Oh, but everybody saw that I was ahead. Now, two days later, you say I lost must be shenanigans. No, Kerry, not at all. Must be ballots that didn't get counted on November 8th. That's all. That's all. Uh, President Biden is coming to Illinois tomorrow. Speaking of President Biden, 
He is going to be stumping for um, Congressman Bill Foster and Sean Caston. Um, the Republican Party has put a ton of money in trying to unseat Bill Foster, Sean Caston, and Lauren Underwood. <clears throat> they seem to feel that they have some potential there. And while um, Sean Caston and Bill Foster, and according to um, the polling, you know, that same polling I told you to be very wary about, um, they've been ahead pretty much the whole time. But those leads are narrowing, according to reports, because Republicans are pouring money, pouring, pouring, pouring money into these races. And uh, you got to counter that. There's an interesting uh, analysis here, a statistical analysis that was posted on social media that says 465 billionaires have pumped $881 million, almost a billion dollars, into the midterm elections. It's not breaking down Republican or Democrat. It's just the billionaires. And they said, actually, by the time the election occurs on November 8th, that number probably will be at least a billion. Which also means that not only should you be somewhat wary about polling, you should also be wary about last-minute political ads. It Wouldn't it be great if instead of watching commercials, we actually did some research into the people who are running? What are the issues that are important to me? Where do the two candidates in this race stand on those issues that are important to me? What have they said? What have they done? Gosh, I think I know who to vote for. You don't need to hear it in a TV commercial. Don't need to read it in a billboard. There are lots of election deniers also on ballots, which is a whole nother ball of wax. We're going to take a break, come back and talk to David Orr from Good Government, Illinois, about this midterm election coming up right after this. Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820. Listen to the Tom Hartman Radio Program every weekday from 11 to 2, right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT. Our good friend David Orr is with Good Government Illinois. You remember him from his many days in uh, elected office, but he is working now to make most offices fairer, more transparent, more equitable, more ethical. And uh, what a good time to talk about a lot of those kinds of issues. When, David, we seem to be seeing the opposite of this as we get closer to the midterm elections. First of all, how you doing? <laughs> I am doing fine. Um, by the way, did you see Punch 9 yet? Uh, no, that's the Harold Washington bio, isn't it? Yes. I, Tell yes, me about it. Well, I just finally saw it last night. I missed several opportunities. I, I worked with... Uh, this guy, Joe Winston, the producer, early on, 
Uh, it's fascinating for people that want to get a not just a history of Harold, but a good documentary, you know, great videos and so forth, particularly of Chicago, what it meant to be a city that was um, unfortunately fairly racist and discriminatory in a lot of ways. And so it goes into politics that kind of created conditions uh, where Harold actually had a chance to win in 83. So it's really pretty fascinating. But I, I did enjoy it a lot. I've been wanting to see it for, for months. Was there anything in the documentary that you learned that you hadn't known before? Um, well, probably not, because I've studied this. And, and you lived through it. it. Um, I, I lived through a lot of it. There, there's some of the stuff early on with Harold. Um, I actually supported Harold in 1977 when he first ran for mayor. Most people don't even know that he ran, but at that point. No, I didn't um, know that. Well, see, what happened, remember, after Old Man Daly died, the senior Daly, uh, late in 76, the, by, the, by the city council rules, the person who should have more likely become mayor at that time was Wilson Frost. He was a black caller from the south, south side, and he was a president pro tem. But the 11th Ward wouldn't stand for that, particularly with the, the racist stuff. And so they just pushed him out of the way and picked Michael Bolandic. Um, and so when 77 came and Belandic is the main, obviously machine candidate at the time. So Harold ran, you know, Harold had been part of the machine, but he was always pushing at them, always trying to do more progressive things. And they tried to keep him somewhat controlled, but it did work. So it was just more of a test. He did win several awards. Um, but anyway, that was, that was, um, so that was a number of years before, because 83, but uh, it's, you know, it's, it's great history. It's just fun watching Harold because remember, uh, coming up soon, a week from today, December 10th, is when Harold Washington, way back in 1982, announced that he would run for mayor, of course. Um, well, you know, course, on, um, on November 10th, on that anniversary, the rumors are that that's the day that Chewy Garcia is going to announce his run for mayor, and he's going to pick that day because of the resonance with Harold Washington. Those are the rumors. I'm sure you've heard them, too. Yeah, I think they're more than rumors. In other words, I think they've been pretty upfront that, remember, he's what he's saying is that if they lose the House, He's going to run for mayor, and the 10th is one of the days that they would announce. Um, and I think they want to get that story in, obviously, because, uh, remember, there's a lot of black candidates running. And I think politically, of course, uh, Chewy wants people to remember that he was a key part of the Washington coalition. So, uh, yes, I, I, I would not be surprised to see that happen. So it's a wild town. So two days after, <laughs> two days after this it, crucially important election nationally. We'll have uh, all sorts of stuff going on here for the municipal elections coming up. Uh, but one thing I really like, I heard a little bit of the show before I got on, and it's very important what you said. Most people, I don't think, understand this. But when you're saying about some of these Republican schemes on the polls, since they have so much money, what they've done, according at least in the New York Times and other sources, is they do lots of polls. And so a lot of people in a fairly unobjective way, they just, well, here, here's a poll that says so-and-so's ahead, here's a poll that says someone. But if, in fact, a large percentage of those polls are Republican polls, then it, it tilts what the real balance is. And I think that's what they've been trying to do. And, of course, I hope many of those polls are wrong, you know, because we see counter-information about incredible 
number of people voting, particularly early and so forth, um, particularly in minority communities, et cetera. So we shall see. The key, as you said, is not the polls. It's who turns out. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it's so simple. You know, as a political guy for so many years, it's really that simple. We get turnout and we win. We can't compete. You talk about the billionaires and all that. They have more money. They always will have more money. But we still have the possibility, despite all the structural weaknesses in our democracy, so we still have the possibility of winning if people turn out. Yep. Now, I guess that was one of the less blessings, by the way, back to punch nine, is I don't know the exact figure, but about 90% of black voters turned out in 1983. Just extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, of course, if that happened in any of the battleground states, uh, we would win. Um, and unfortunately, Trump's success to a certain degree is because he has convinced a lot of what you might say, not particularly poor, but they'll say white individuals who were upset with a lot of things, uh, not all racist, et cetera, but just upset with a lot of things, blame a lot of it on race or mistreatment of the government. Um, um, so anyway, that, that, if that turnout is greater, uh, we lose. So turnout yeah. pretty much everything, and we'll see. Well, I was um, I don't I didn't discuss this with you. I have mentioned it on the air before that a couple of weeks ago, Mike Crute, he is a progressive radio host that uh, is in Wisconsin. And he was talking on the air about some polling that he had had seen reported that said that the pollsters asked people if they were definitely going to vote or if they were not sure they were going to vote. And if when they surveyed the people who said, yep, they're definitely going to vote, Ron Johnson led Mandela Barnes by about five points. When they surveyed the people who said, ah, you know, I'm, I, maybe I'll vote, maybe I won't, I'd kind of like to vote, might be too busy. When they surveyed those people and said, you know, well, if you voted, how would you vote? Mandela Barnes would have, was 15 points over Ron Johnson. It is turnout, it is turnout, it is turnout. And, it's, and of course, it's our challenge because uh, we, uh, it's, to a certain degree, let's argue that the Democrats, with, with all their or our weaknesses, also generally are much more concerned about helping working people, et cetera, than, of course, the, um, than the Republicans just in general. But if you're not very good at getting that message out, and you're not constant because no matter how much you help, you're still, you know, if you're out there looking for a job or a, got a low-paying job, you're still frustrated. And one of the craziest things about polling, and I see it all the time on the news, and I'm just shocked that the major news stations use it. They say, well, you know, 70 to 75, sometimes high as 80% of Americans think the country's going in the wrong direction. And then they, they say, okay, well, that proves that Biden's no good. Oh. And I'm thinking, well, I would say the country's not going in the right direction, not because of Biden, but because of the threat to democracy, uh-huh. a whole series of things. But I just can't believe, and I see it on the major networks, I see it in um, Republican commercials. But so anyway, poll is like anything. You've got to be careful who you hear things from and just try and do the analysis yourself. Uh, but I, I am, like many people, um, extraordinarily concerned about the energy that some Republicans 
more the right-wing Republicans, not the more traditional conservative Republicans. But these folks have an amazing campaign going on, and including in Illinois, doing everything possible to harm the democracy, to intimidate people. It's extraordinarily uh, dangerous for what's going on because they seem to get increasingly sophisticated at, at how to mess up things. And I think my experience you know, for nearly 30 years as county clerk here in Cook, um, I'm really concerned because they do know, they may be crazy in some ways, but they also know what to do that can really mess up things. So that that is what I really um, am very concerned about. Um, and if you want, we can. Yeah, I do want to talk more about that. We need to take a quick break. I'm speaking with Good Government Illinois' David Orr. We'll be right back after this. Stay on top of the latest news in and around Chicago with Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. There is a midterm election coming up. It is very important. You must vote. You must vote for Mary Kay O'Brien or Liz Rochford if you find them on your ballot for Supreme Court. You must do this. Do it for me. Do it for me. The Workers' Rights Amendment. Uh, I was reading in the Picayune Sentinel where Eric Zorn was writing about that, saying, well, you know, while he believed in it, he wasn't sure it needed to be part of the Constitution. But you know why it needs to be part of the Constitution? So that down the road, if lightning strikes and we get ourselves another Bruce Rauner in the governor's office, we don't have to keep fighting this fight. Bruce Rauner did everything in his power to kill unions in the state of Illinois. Everything in his power. we got to make sure he doesn't have that or a Bruce Rauner type doesn't have that power in the future. I'm speaking with David Orr, Good Government Illinois, we were, you know, David had a job actually before he did good government in Illinois. Uh, he was a county clerk. And people like that have a lot to do with how elections run, which makes David especially nervous when he sees all these election deniers on the ballot. David, I interrupted you mid-sentence before we went to break. Please continue. Well, that's okay. We again, um, there's just so many things going on, and uh, unfortunately, many of them are taking place in Illinois too. Um, obviously, uh, these election deniers and um, election deniers—it's one thing if they just happen to have a belief. It's another when they're actively involved with lots of right-wing money to do a lot of things. Let's just take um, a number of things that are going on that are very dangerous. Uh, the Tribune reported recently about uh, that Mike Bost. You know, he's challenging uh, the state law, which we passed, well, to not not only a mail-in ballots, but to say people shouldn't have two weeks for them to arrive, even if they're properly filled out and properly signed and properly dated. Now, of course, the reason that we have mail, mail, mail voting, of course, um, is because uh, we're one of the only maybe two or three countries in the world that don't vote on a holiday. So just nuts if... That's why so many people in the past weren't able to vote because they had to work. So with the mail voting and the reason, of course, we give people extra time is the elections are official for, quote, three weeks. And anybody that's done much election work, anybody knows anything about the post office, knows you could mail your ballot last week. 
postmarked last week. It may not arrive by Tuesday the 8th. So since mm-hmm. we have to wait, uh, so we just did that, which makes total sense. And could you imagine that, the people, because you were encouraging them to get their mail ballots in? But as long as they're postmarked by Election Day, but let's say, let's say some judge actually changed that law, tens of thousands of people's votes would be thrown out. So that's just one of many really stupid things. Um, the Trib also reported on this, you know, candidate for Governor Bailey hiring these deniers and trying to come up with all these poll watchers. Uh, one of the real dangerous tricks that is going on, poll watchers, and people use different uh, words across the country, but poll watchers, we generally mean not the judges, and some people call them poll workers, we call them election judges, but poll watchers are people that can, you know, often they represent a party or a particular candidate, and they have certain rules, but they can actually be in a polling place. And there's nothing wrong with good poll watchers. But what they've been doing because of the deniers and the myths and so forth they've been creating, they're um, trying to create all this trouble with poll watchers. I mean, for example, if your goal really is to really bring down black turnout, okay, or Democratic turnout, you use these poll watchers to cause havoc during the election, to challenge everybody that walks in. Oh, that's not David Orr. That's not Joan Esposito, blah, blah, blah. They have legally a right to do that, okay? Um, But any good judges, if they do the right thing, after a couple examples where there's no proof, they will throw them out because their real goal is to cause so much trouble that the lines get long, people get frustrated, particularly in Democratic Mm -hmm. groups, and then then it, it, it hurts the vote. Or what was reported recently, I think that was in the, maybe the Sun-Times, about uh, Dan Prof's group that's gotten tens and tens of millions of dollars from that extraordinarily right-wing, richest, I guess he's the richest contributor now in Illinois, that Erlang guy. Um, since yeah, I, I don't know. How, I, I always say, because his company is Uline Packaging, so I always assume their name is Uline. It works for me. Yeah, I've heard U- other U-line. people pronounce I, it, yeah, Eline and other things. Um, along those well, lines, that, but that, that, oh yeah, I mean, th- in my book, but 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 so and what what they're doing here, what, what's been proven, at least according to the Sometimes investigation, is that um, they of course try to hide their identity, but really it's them. They're putting all these yellow flyers on cars and so forth in black neighborhoods, and, and you know they've done that before, but this is a really orchestrated campaign with really nasty information or lies and so forth um, because they, they want to dampen black turnout like we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the, the perhaps the most upsetting ones are the things having to do with the election officials themselves. Now, what I mean by that is they could be county clerks, uh, other names, other places, but the people that run the elections. Um, remember, I feel like I know a lot about elections not just from being clerk, but from growing up politically and running against the machine in Chicago. Because in many ways, the Democratic machine was very much like the Trump crazies. They would lie, steal, cheat. They'd do anything to win. They'd beat you up. They'd use the police to throw you out of polling places, um, all sorts of things. Now, fortunately, a lot of that's cleaned up. Okay. But um, just some figures that um, Rachel Maddow reported the other night. She had a great show on, on, on Halloween night. In Pennsylvania, I'm not sure the exact numbers here, but I think maybe 70-some counties, if I got the numbers right. But almost 50 of those, the key election officials are leaving. Okay. Nevada, which is critical, I think 17 
major counties or something, 10 either have left or will be leaving. Um, I'm not saying they're all great, but they're trying to take over where if it's a secretary of state or it's a county clerk or whatever. And again, uh, this is really not Democratic or Republican. This is whether or not someone is going to be a denier and do their best to fix things. There's way too much leeway, in my view, that county clerks just like a, we have too much leeway. Um, I would like to see the laws a little more clear about what you can and can't do. I mean, for example, you know, it was great news. We started early voting, but way back when we started it, the Republican county clerk in Lake County refused to put an early voting site in their largest areas um, in, in Lake County, just north of us in the big cities, um, the big cities up there, the big cities that had a lot of African-Americans in it. Or the worst sample, perhaps, is back down in Champaign County, where there's tens of thousands of students at the University of Illinois. The clerk put the polling place for students as far away from the university as possible. Um, so having been in this job, I don't like it that each state can do what it wants. I think that's dangerous. There will be some national guidelines here and there. And I don't, um, I don't like it that if, in fact, the right wing is working really hard to put people in place who have little respect for how democracy should work. And so we could go on and on. There's a, a group called Illinois Families for Public Schools. They're dealing with similar things because they're trying to deal with schools and libraries and so forth. And you've seen that across the country as well as here. All this pushing to try and threaten people so you get fewer and fewer people want to run for these positions. Uh, and then you find a lot of the dark money, like you talked about before, that we really don't know who it's coming from. And so there are many things like this that are very dangerous, both here and across the country. Um, and, you know, uh, it's kind of like reper if repercussions. If, there's an, if you can get away with lying, misinformation all the time, or these kind of dirty tricks, uh, then you're going to do more of it. It's not that everybody wants to be kind of a right-wing nut. It's that they're intimidated if they don't. Um, some of these people, if, if a few years from now Trump was really embarrassed and there was some movement back toward a more reasonable Republican Party, a lot of those same people would probably go back because most election officials are not leaders, they're followers. But mm -hmm. at this point, they're following a very dangerous path. And to the extent that they get away with these things, um, it's you know dramatically. I'm not... I'm not just talking. I, I do believe we are extraordinarily threatened, uh, our, our way of life here in democracy. And, and if we have time at some point, we need to remember the reason we talk about this is that if, in fact, you don't have a democracy, what do you have? You have kind of have with a machine where force, intimidation uh, rules. That, that's or, another thing that Rachel said. She did a long essay about, you know, these people want to want to say your vote doesn't matter. They want to get into office and have the power to throw your votes out. And as a democracy, we rely on people voting. So if we don't have that, you know, we don't have a democracy. We have a government that is going to be ruled by force and violence. And she said, you know, guys, like the choice couldn't be clearer right now. Exactly. And, and I think it's important and it's always hard to have the time to do it is to understand when we go back to kind of good government stuff. If you have um, a, a weakening democracy uh, like we certainly have right now, your governments are often going to be worse because those who want to weaken it want to give more power 
to the multimillionaires, the billionaires. Uh, you know, we want to, for them to pay their fair taxes. We want the major corporations to pay their fair taxes so we can expand the Social Security, Medicare, stuff like that. And the other side, to the extent that it's no longer conservative but right wing, is talking about cutting back Social Security and Medicare and, and, and giving more tax breaks to the very wealthy. Uh, and if, in fact, I mean, because the public is mostly on the side of what you might call the more progressive issues in the last 10 or 15 years. So a lot of what we're facing is because we've talked about this before. We have a U.S. Senate that is not based on population. Everything would be different if the U.S. Senate was based on population. You know, there'd be five senators. Absolutely. I mean, we have a minority of the country in the Senate uh, ruling the majority. Exactly. And, And because the Senate is the key factor in the Supreme Court, it explains like what we're doing. I mean, any any other Let's say no, no particularly offense at Clarence Thomas, who I think is an abomination personally, because I, I think he was a rapist for one, which I don't like. Um, but, you know, no one could get away with the stuff that he and his wife have been doing. But he at this point can get away with it because they were able to control the court and actually deny Obama the opportunity to pick someone that wouldn't have happened if the Senate wasn't composed where, like I say, a distinct minority runs the Senate because we have all these states with a million voters, but they get two senators in California with 39 million voters also gets two senators. Now, of course, we can't change that right away. But the key difference between now and let's say when I was younger is the Republican Party was a conservative party, but it wasn't right wing. So people may not remember this, but Charles Percy Jacob Can you imagine like if Charles yes. if Charles Percy were alive today, he would have to be a Democrat because he's he not the kind of Republican that Democrats. any Republican would recognize. Right. At, at that point, um, again, again, there's a long story of how we and other countries are turning more and more right wing and the threat of authoritarianism and so forth. But when when a political party shifts, if they don't, and so we have consequences in the past. We had that in our history. We may remember, you remember, before the Republican Party was formed, you know, there um, we had some third parties and they really kind of messed up. Um, but it was adjusted over time. Now, we still don't know if that's going to happen, but instead of adjusting Republican Party. Oh, wait a minute, uh, David. I'm sorry. I got so involved in our discussion. We have to break for news. Good grief. Um, Let's write down what we were talking about, because I, for one, probably will have a hard time in four minutes remembering what I was saying. Uh, We're going to take a break for news. David Orr and I will be back after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. The Rick Smith Show, live, weeknights from 8 to 10 p.m. Look at what's happening. The Rick Smith Show on WCPT 820. Everyone is talking about it. Chicago's progressive talk. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. On WCPT 820. 
I'm joined by uh, David Orr. He was a county clerk for many years. He now is with Good Government Illinois. We have been talking about this midterm election coming up and what is at stake. We have people who are trying to convince you that your vote doesn't matter. People who are saying if they get into office, they will be better able to decide who really should be the winner of an election rather than you silly old folks with your silly old little votes. Um, do you think, David, people really understand the stakes here? Uh, well, I, I think it's a yes and no thing. I think some people clearly do. Um, and uh, um, to the extent that some people don't, it's like because, you know, they're busy with their lives and concerned about all the immediate issues. And they don't always have the time to hear things or they they don't know who to believe. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. again, we just always be trying to do as much as possible to connect these things like we were before. If you don't have a democracy, that means chances are that things like Medicare and Social Security and things that help average people will be diminished because um, oligarchies or aristocracies or whatever you call it, okay, authoritarian governments tend to want to control that money, as Putin does, for example, and use it for their friends or their own interests. And so they tend to cut back those programs. Like when I first joined your show, you were talking about the Workers' Rights Amendment. Um, Now, one of the good things over the last few years, right, has been the move towards, you know, 15, a minimum wage 15. Now, of course, be nice if that keeps expanding. But there have been significant growths in people's salaries. Now, that has nothing to do with Republicans and no offense to them, but that's almost because of of the push for 15 and and the push from Democrats all across the country, which Republicans kind of opposed. So what I'm saying is we need to be able to connect those dots. Mm -hmm. Why the absence of democracy, why this could really, really sink the Social Securities and the Medicare's and even the things like um, Biden was able to pull off recently to start really negotiating on on pharmacy costs. They're absolutely outrageous. We know the stories all the time and Americans can't afford it. And there's no reason they're so outrageous because every other country in the world pays a lot less. So the, the fight for those things that help average people, that is often not what the right wing wants or what authoritarian governments want. So there are specific reasons. It's not just that we don't we don't like the fact that they deny uh, elections. What really happened? They get elected and that's fine. But if they lose, they raise holy hell. It's because the policies that they're pursuing and the dirty tricks, the the misinformation, et cetera, and the horrible things. What if it, the Trump son actually said something derogatory about Pelosi? Um, Mr. Pelosi, who was nearly killed by that intruder, um, you know, this is way beyond the pale. But if they get away with it, like Trump has for too much, then they do more and more. So, yes, it's uh, a great deal is at stake. Um, Some know, some don't. We can always do a better job of communicating. It is hard when I'm not on both sides have commercials that are you know, kind of crazy sometimes, but it is hard when there's so much extremism on complicated issues. The economy is complicated. The policing issues are complicated. But, you know, these right wing Republicans want to make it really simple. Um, But it's not simple 
it's, it's yes, we want police to do their job, but a good part of the population also wants to make sure there's not abuse as there's been so much of. Okay. That's not so complicated. It's good policing, but also good accountability. But when you get into these campaigns, it's that simple. Oh, well, you know, Pritzker's letting all the criminals out. Absolutely mm-hmm. insane stuff. But if no one has challenged them on the lies and the myths, it makes it hard to beat them. David, I have a question. You are someone who has run for elected office before. Um, I have observed elections for much of my adult life. And I was always under the impression that the conventional wisdom was that there were certain things that you didn't talk about. One of those being Social Security, that that was a way uh, to talk about doing anything to alter it or reduce it or get rid of it was the surest way to lose an election. And yet in the current midterm election we're facing now, I see people saying left and right. Um, I mean, Governor Mike Lee was caught off mic saying that he really wished he could just get rid of Social Security. Ron Johnson, the Republican running for Senate in Wisconsin, saying, well, you know, we really ought to reevaluate Social Security. We probably ought to only authorize it one year at a time and then take it up again the next year to vote on it. I don't understand that. Is, has the conventional wisdom changed? Can we now yes. talk about getting rid of Social Security when it is the lifeblood of so many Americans? Yes, it has. Remember, we, we, ha- we can't forget the, uh, the, the extraordinary change in recent modern uh, America is the shift from the Republican Party, you know, one or two almost equal parties, okay, the Republican Party, from being a conservative party, which meant certain things, to being a right-wing party that actually deny, it seems like they're not in support of democracy. So, yes, that's an extraordinary move. Now, remember a few elections ago, um, they got beat up pretty bad for some of this talk about Social Security. They are so confident right now of winning the House um, that, yes, it's it, now they're saying these things, because you'd think anybody that's going to go out and say to the millions and millions of people that need Social Security, they're not wealthy, they they need it, um, that we're going to cut it, which Republicans are talking about right now, is absurd. But but that is how dramatically the politics has changed. And that's the kind of thing that people, when they're very busy, they don't necessarily see that, because the Republican Party is going to want to focus on what they see as crime or, you know, you know, whatever some of these attacks are. Um, and only the Social Security is only coming up more recently. But there's a cataclysmic change that you just described. But I'm saying that is because the Republican Party is no longer what it once was. And it's controlled by people. Uh, Trump, who basically, if he had his way, he, he was cutting deals with Putin. Mm-hmm. Uh, God knows what he would have done if he was still in office. He'd be he'd be supporting Putin against the Ukraine. Oh, without question. I mean, you. My guess is, if Donald Trump had defeated Joe Biden, uh, all of the Ukrainian territory would be Russian territory now. I can't imagine that Donald Trump would have a lifted a finger 
uh, to help him from us and wouldn't have done anything to try to unite Western Europe in supporting Ukraine. I mean, it's just an it's 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 like night and day. Yeah, And so all we can do is keep pushing it, kind of demand, trying trying to kind of support those more and more traditional Republicans that are at least trying to stop the craziness in their own party and then to encourage our uh, friends who are Democrats to, you know, speak as clearly as possible and keep uh, a lot of times they need to talk more. You know, my, my big complaint, as, as you've heard before, I think, is as the Democrats too often are afraid to deal with working class issues the way they should because they're so desirous of raising the money. And I could go further there. I think there's, you know, we talk about how much money the Republicans have. A lot of these Democratic candidates have a lot of money. I think there's a lot of problems among the Democrats, among the people running the show, among the consultants about the money they're taking. Um, and, and in some ways, they're just, just as bad as the others, okay? If you mean like where, how they're issue. choosing to spend it? Yes, exactly. Um, and, and the fact is, I get, you know, 45 requests every day, text, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you know, yeah, uh, my God, all you have to do is donate once to somebody's campaign. And I've gotten fundraising emails from people, and I'm like, gosh, I don't, I don't recognize that name. I didn't realize they were on the ballot in Illinois. And then I look them up, and they're running for, like, state treasurer in Alabama. And I'm like, seriously? How did you get my information? So, so part of the whole thing, and we could come, come back, bring back to good government, is mm-hmm. if we can keep pushing what we believe most people would agree that is good government, and it would actually help you know, a, a wide range of people that are not too expensive, et cetera, we keep pushing those and then trying to articulate who's for it and who's against it. That is a, you know, that, that's one of the best ways of trying to really explain to people who's for and who's against you, and you can make your decisions. But yes, it's a totally different. Who would have thought a few years ago that um, a woman named Cheney, who was the daughter of the vice president of the United States, would become a, an enemy of the state of the Republican Party? Yeah. So that's that's how far it is. That's why Republicans may not like it politically that we keep talking about democracies, um, you know, on the ballot here and what Obama has done and Biden has done. But it really is. If they gave us some notion that they're they're shifting, but they're they're shifting the wrong way. So um, anything could happen because democracy is a very vague thing. And so I think whenever we talk about the more we can talk about actual programs like the Social Security, like the Medicare and whether it's policing or foreign policy. Um, but to see some of these things, like maybe you don't like Joe Biden, maybe you think he's old, but look at the infrastructure program. Mm-hmm. Look at that. That's going to be enormous help all around the country, not just to some areas or this thing relating to the pharmacy and drugs. And even though we, we, we sometimes will blame the help that Biden, the Democrats gave to people during the height of the pandemic. And, yeah, there was some waste there, but that was actually some of that was from Trump, too. Mm. But the point is, people were, were starving. They were dying. They were. And so um, I think given all the programs we have continuing their giveaways to the rich and powerful, and we could spend weeks talking about those. The fact is that our government in certain cases, like I'm telling you, those are some darn good programs. Yes. I don't care how old Biden looks. I don't know if, 
might stumble now and then. That's not important to me. The important, more important to me is the policies that people push, okay? And why people could fight against infrastructure, support right-wing people to be on the court. No offense, but what? Like I said before, I hate to say it, it sounds pretty corny, I'll admit, but what? Two of the six men or five men are, are women abusers. That's mm-hmm. the Supreme Court, the highest court in our land. Yep. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. So that's nothing to be proud of. We should not act like the Supreme Court is some special thing. It's a very political group. It's undermining our democracy. Um, and we should not show them um, unnecessary respect, you know. Mm-hmm. I, 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 oh, I, I don't think showing uh, the members of the Supreme Court um, extra respect or even basic respect <laughs> is uh, is an issue right now. Hey, David, we got to take another break. We're uh, running over. David Orr and I are going to be right back after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. Where are they now with Art and Bobby? The coffee psychic, Jory Ann. Is anyone here going to get promoted from the station? It feels like two people should be getting some sort of uh, moving around their uh, career. Did you hear the good news, Devin? Is he wearing any kind of green, by the way? Any kind of green at all? No. Zach's wearing green. Zach, congratulations. Tune in to Where Are They Now? Saturdays at 10 a.m. on WCPT 820 a.m. Hey, listen... You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Good Government Illinois' David Orr. We were talking about, um, among many other things relating to the midterm campaign (laughs) donations. And, David, I have a question for you. I saw last week a post on social media. I don't, I, I can't remember who posted it. Um, but they were a political observer and they said, guys, this late in the game where there's really only a few days until the election, you know, try, if you, if you still have money in your pocket to give, give to your favorite charity because any donation you make this late in the race is not really going to affect the outcome. Is that true? Do you think? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a sweeping generalization. No, not particularly true. In other words, candidates, some of them are making decisions right now. Now, it is getting late, right? It's Thursday. They're making decisions, uh, sometimes even like media. How much more TV can I go? Can I can I expand mm-hmm. anything? Uh, if, if there's, of course, room wherever they particularly are. Um, or can I hire some extra people for Election Day? Um, now, some campaigns, it may not matter because they're flush, so to speak. Um, so I think it varies. Um, uh, so I, I try and find out more. I wouldn't do that kind of sweeping thing because it could it could have some positive effects on some some campaigns. Um, you see, for example, remember the Supreme Court, which we didn't talk about today, but is so crucial. Uh, I think for you know protecting uh, women's right to choose and all sorts of other things because we've we've not seen what a, a, a kind of a right wing um, court could do in Illinois, uh, and that's. That's kind of a big battle. and That's terrifying. Um, so, so the point is what people, in the last minute, what they're trying to do, and this is where money can come in, okay, mm-hmm. we need to encourage everyone to vote and tell their friends to vote and tell, their, tell the women that uh, 
you better vote or don't come around my bed. Um, uh, <laughs> hey, David, I'm one more thing I want to I want to try to squeeze into our conversation. I know that early on in this election, a lot of Republicans felt that Lauren Underwood was vulnerable because she uh, she didn't uh, win the last time around by a huge number. And I know that there was money uh, being used to target her. Um, but she seems to be in a little bit better shape now. And there seems now to be a bo- big push uh, towards Sean Caston, that somehow people see him as a potential weak link. How do you feel about the congressional races? I Well, I, I, I'm concerned about that, too. I don't have a lot of firsthand information. But remember, with, with certain of the, um, particularly some of Bailey's stuff and the enormous money that some billionaires have been giving to Bailey and that message of just a stark thing, you know, Pritzker ought to be in jail, you know, Pritzker's letting the criminals out. Uh, even though that's targeted Pritzker, to the extent that it has any, I don't think it's going to hurt Pritzker much, but that could affect areas like Caston's member um, because of that district. So, yes, I, I'm a little concerned about uh, some of those races. Um, just because it's so unpredictable, what you don't know, honestly, is whether or not and what campaigns do. If I'm really ahead, I'm not going to emphasize that because I want you to think it's closer. I'm behind all the way. One, to get the money and two, to get you to vote. Mm-hmm. What kills us, I mean, what killed us in, when Trump won is that people just didn't turn out, particularly. Um, so, oh, sure. Why bother yes, to I, vote? I, I, Hillary's I got it yeah. in the bag, right? Yeah, I would definitely um, uh, I would try and help any of those people, like I say, even if it's just calling a few friends, getting people to vote. You'd be surprised. Everybody pushes one or two people and that can make a big difference. Um, it can. Uh, and let me let me just very quickly, because um, you, you have I know you have to move on. I did want to tell you that I'm going to even though you can say I babble on too much anyway. But I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be doing a podcast recently. I'm, I'm going to start doing some podcasts. And the first one, I think, will be out around right after the election. Um, that'll be with Jonathan Jackson. Wonderful. Um, anyway, uh, What's it called? We're doing a lot of. Uh, I don't know. We have an official name yet. It might be. Well, David, how can one. people find? Should, should do you think if they go to wherever they get their podcasts, like Apple Music, and they just put in your name, it'll come up? Well, that's all being taken care of. I can't tell you the details. All I know is I'm just preparing. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm, I, you know, I'm a little old fashioned, but yes, it'll, it'll get out there. Um, the other thing is just we're trying to follow up on a lot of some of the, the scandals in the board review, but uh, we can talk about that another time. So. There's always more to talk about. Um, so <laughs> yes. let me be let me be clear again. You're getting ready to launch this podcast. It is going to launch sometime after the midterm elections is. Or it'll, it'll probably the, the launch date most likely will be the 16th of November. OK. And yes. I'm guessing that if the launch date is the 16th of November, there's a possibility you'll have a title for it by then, maybe. Oh, I think we'll have a title. And yes, before that, so we can advertise it. OK. Well, if you want to busy with all the things, and <laughs> if you want to come back that week and talk about it or just send me the information so I can get it out to our listeners, I would be I would be happy to share that. Um, anybody who okay, enjoys listening to you on this radio show, and I know there are a lot of people who do, um, would certainly love that podcast. 
Real quick, we uh, only well, have a little yes. bit of time left. And this mm-hmm. is a kind of an in-the-weeds technical question. Why does it seem that parties and candidates always have much better polling than mainstream media? Like, I'll talk to a candidate and I'll be like, oh, man, you must be really sad that you lost. And they'll say, well, actually, in our polling, I knew two weeks ago I wasn't going to win. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Where Where are you getting those polls? I'd love to. I'd like to follow those polls. Why do the candidates have so much better information? Well, in general, they don't always have that, but sometimes they do because they remember there are people. There's polls that only release some of the information. Um, remember, there's all that other smaller data that's not not always released uh, that gives you some feel for well, if this happened or that happened. So uh, any poll usually is not just you know Smith or Jones. It's usually much more information. And if you know your district pretty well, and by then. It's sometimes not the polling. You've already seen who's turning out, who's voting early. Mm, I see. So So you know ahead of time that if this neighborhood turns out in great numbers, I'm liable to win or I'm liable to lose. Exactly. Exactly. I see. Um, I've always wondered about that. Turnout is everything. And so the polling can tell you if it's accurate, it can tell you what people are thinking. But again, you know, they always say, well, are you a likely voter? But. That varies a great deal. So the key, um, we have our best guesses, but that doesn't do it. It's the turnout that matters. Mm-hmm. And the turnout mattered in 2020. It mattered. We'll see. It, it might really matter this time in Georgia and some other places with the heavy um, early voting and voting by mail. But I don't yeah. know enough about it. But. Well, this is going to be a, you know, any, this is going to be a slow election to get results. But I'm OK with that. You know, if I, I'll wait a long time for good news. Anyway, David, thank you so much. Good luck with the podcast. Sure, we will talk to you soon. Um, we're okay, going to take thanks, a break. John. We are going to uh, coming up next. We're going to be talking with David Hochberg. Um couple of things I want to talk to him about. Obviously, the Fed raised the rates. Um, there's also some other things that I want to talk to him about. But I know also that a lot of times you, the listeners, have a lot of questions for David. So uh, we're going to be opening up the phone lines when we come right back with David Hochberg after this. Can't listen to Joan Esposito? Surely you can't be serious. Live, local, and progressive in your car today? I am serious, and don't call me sure. Don't fret. You can still listen to her on the TuneIn app on both your phone and computer. Whoa, you feel that right away. Oh. It's just refreshing. Information is power. Stay informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge. I wake up. I need to know what happened. I turn on the radio. Because information is power. WCPT 820. Where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We were um, obviously out and about yesterday in Grundy County at the Democratic headquarters there talking to candidates from Grundy and Kendall and LaSalle counties. It was a great day, but I didn't have a lot of time to pay attention to the breaking news of the day. And as expected, uh, the Federal Reserve raised uh, bank rates, uh, 75 percentage points, 0.75, not 75 percentage points, 0.75, which was expected. The Fed keeps raising rates in an effort to curb inflation, 
And um, the attitude seems to be that even though as they continue to raise rates, they increase the risk of a recession, uh, they feel that what they're doing is necessary to make sure that inflation doesn't spin out of control. Whenever something like this happens, I ask David Hochberg to join us to explain to me what this means for those of us just living our little tiny lives and doing little radio shows. He joins us now. Uh, hey, David, how are you doing? I'm tremendous, Joan. Thank you for having me. And your radio show is, much, is not little. It is a huge, gigantic. <laughs> it's the little engine that could. It just keeps chugging away. Uh, thank you. you do a great job. Um, thank you, sweetie. Uh, the Federal Reserve, does, there, does what they've done, does that mean mortgage rates are going to go up again? Yeah, well, the, uh, the mortgage rates aren't based upon the short-term interest rates. The mortgage rates are based upon the bonds, and the bonds have been... So uh, this doesn't have anything pricing. to do with mortgage rates? Well, it it kind of runs on parallel tracks. It's not on the same track, but one does have to do with the other. Okay, mortgage okay. rates started increasing um, in January of this year, and the short-term interest rate that the Fed controls, Fed Chair Powell controls, uh, started, he started uh, increasing the short-term rates in March with the 25 basis point little teaser at the beginning, then 50 basis points, and then subsequent 75 basis points that he just dropped another 75 basis points on the market. And now the prime rate, prime interest rate, which started the year at 3.25, is now at 7. Uh, 30-year fixed loans started the year in the threes, around three, three and an eighth, somewhere in the low threes. We're now in the high sevens, uh, trenched in the high sevens, and some borrowers, depending upon the circumstances and variables, are getting quoted in the eights. <clears throat> so uh, things are a lot more expensive, and they're going to continue to get expensive until this economy slows down and inflation gets in check. David, I remember... Happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. I remember uh, back a while ago when interest rates were high and to make it easier for people to get mortgages, it was banks were doing all this really creative stuff, like really low rates, but you only got it. It was a mortgage like it lasted like two years and then you either had to pay it off or roll it over into something else. Do those kinds of things still exist? No. Well, the risky loans that you're talking about have been basically outlawed by by the by the market and the and and, and the government right you, you can't do those subprime loans anymore even though the subprime loans helped out millions of borrowers there are a lot of unscrupulous lenders out there that use those subprime loans to screw people over and get people in the homes that they couldn't afford so fortunately that segment of the market that did help out a lot of people also hurt a lot of people because it's it's like a drug Right. Well, yeah, I remember I bought a house um, with one of those and, you know, I got a really good rate and, you know, I'm paying my little payments. And then I get a letter in the mail. It was like, oh, by the way, uh, in two months, everything comes due, uh, the entire mortgage, unless you unless you get another mortgage. And I was like, oh, oh, forgot about that. Forgot about that part. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah. But here, you know, mortgages are like a, a drug that a doctor dispenses. Okay, and this is the best way that I could describe it. When you work with a doctor, 
and you take a drug that and it's used properly, it's a great drug. Okay, and and you're and you're in it. You know, for, you know, you know. For example, an adjustable rate mortgage. There's nothing wrong with adjustable rate mortgages. It's a wonderful product. It's an outstanding product. I love adjustable rate mortgages. The challenge with adjustable rate mortgages is, is that they've been vilified as as a horrible loan. No, that's not right. It's a great loan when used in the right circumstance, administered by a trained mortgage professional that explains all the risks and rewards to the consumer, the borrower. And the borrower that is educated and is working with a, a, a professional mortgage loan originator who has their best interest in, in, the, in, in mind, it could work out perfectly, right? The challenge is these products get vilified, and there's no reason for it. Adjustable rate mortgages are a great product when taken out and when the borrower knows what's going on. So here's a perfect example. If you know that your kids are juniors and seniors in high school or freshmen in high school, or, or you know that as soon as they walk down that aisle and get their diploma, that you're putting that house on the market because you can't afford all the real estate taxes that support the high school that that child went to. And you know you're only going to be there five years, and a seven- or ten-year adjustable rate mortgage is a great product. You know, So you know, let's put a check on adjustable rate mortgages, because I'll get into I'll get into philosophical debates with any listener out there that wants to sit there and tell me that arms are bad. No, the arms are great when used effectively in the right situation. Uh, we need to take a break, but when we come back, I'd like to continue our medical analogy. I've yeah. I've read I've read a lot of things that the Fed waited too late to start raising interest rates. I think something you even said last time we were together. And is it um I want to make an analogy to antibiotics because, like, if you have an infection and you let it really get out of control, you need a lot more antibiotics. Whereas if you'd have just gone to the doctor the first time uh, you saw anything going wrong, you could have handled it with a lot less um, medical treatment, a lot less drugs. I I don't understand this whole thing that things would be different if the Fed had gotten started sooner. I want you to explain it to me when we come back in very small words because I have no financial background. David Hochberg and I are going to be right back after this. Take Jonas Pazito live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm joined by David Hochberg. I know that we have some callers who want to talk to David, uh, and we will get to your calls. But first, I want to find out... I don't understand what David said last time and what I'm what I'm reading that said, well, the Fed got started too late raising rates, like somehow maybe a little more medicine in the beginning would have kept the illness from getting so bad. I don't. uh, Is that what they're saying, David? Is that the the analogy that I. Yeah, I'll try to break it down for as, as, as easy as possible. So as many listeners can understand this as possible. So there's. There's an infinite amount of money that you have, right? And you're in the money no. that you have. <laughs> no, no right? there's a very finite amount of money. I, I, that I, I mean, I, I'm sorry, a finite, I'm, I'm sorry, finite amount of money that you have every single month. Okay. When COVID hit, 
the federal government came in. They saw the economy was slowing down because we all thought we were going to die. And I'm not making light of this. I'm just saying it. We didn't know what was coming and people were dying and busload falls every single day and everybody was freaking out, right? So mm-hmm. what happened? The economy came to a screeching halt. I'm just summarizing everything the best I can. The Fed looked at it and said, we have to step in again like we stepped in at 08 and make sure that the housing doesn't collapse because then we'll be in the uh, depression. Fed has to step in and start pumping money into the economy to get everybody rocking and rolling who is not working for whatever reason, right? If you're in the entertainment business, you, you basically were out of business for 20 months, right? If you were in the limousine business, um, you know, bar by mitzvahs, weddings, photographers, catering, all that was basically shut down. Travel, you know, related hotels wiped out, okay? So what did the Fed do? The, the Fed said, okay, we're not going to let the entire U.S. economy go onto the rocks. We're going to flood the flood the system with money, okay, which was great. Some of our listeners needed money and got checks and, 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 and made it through, right? Some businesses got PPP money and made it through, okay? But some of our listeners got checks that didn't need the money, right? And there was no clawback for that. And there were some businesses that got money that didn't need the money, okay, that didn't give it back. So what happens? Now you have an oversupply, an abundance, more money in the system that it typically handles. And what do people do better than anything? You know, what do Americans do better than anybody else? We spend money that we don't have. Now you have money that you shouldn't have, and now what are you doing? You're going out there and you're blowing it on on every single goods and services that you could possibly imagine. Well, it worked because it kept the economy going. The problem is there were not enough services and goods to keep up with the money that was being pumped into the system. So what happened? There's your inflation, right? It has nothing to do with Biden. It, it has nothing to do with that. It's just there's 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 more money chasing fewer goods. That's what inflation is. What supply and demand? It drives up the price of everything, right? So how do you stop that, right? You mm-hmm. start making people pay for things. Okay, so what did we do? We put mortgages on hold. People didn't have to make their mortgage payments. Okay, we put student loan debt on hold. Listeners didn't have to make their student loan debt. Don't start sending me emails. I'm just telling you what this is all about, okay? Mm-hmm. So, 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 so to make the matters worse, you had listeners not making rent payments, even though they had the rent to pay, right? And then you had, um, so they were blowing it on other things. You had, you had listeners who don't, who don't have to make their, didn't have to make their student loan payments until January. And listen, if I, was, if I had student loans and I could kick it to January, I'd kick it to January. What should have been done in order to take some of that money out of the system so they could be spent on other things to drive prices up, right? Because now if you have to take $500 a month out of your budget to redirect it towards student loans, okay, guess what? There's $500 going to pay down student loan debt, right? It's not going to be spent on, on goods and services. So that's what happened, right? So if the Fed would have increased interest rates to make things more expensive, the, the, the general thought is is that the United States consumer would spend less. My whole mm-hmm. thing was it was a big mess. You know, the president kept kicking the student loan thing down the can. It's election season. I get it. It's a political hot potato. Again, I'm not, I'm not just making common sense analysis of what's going on, right? Why all of a sudden we're paying student loans uh, on January 1st? just happens to be after the election, okay? It, it, it works well for the Democrats, okay? Fine. I get it. 
but it sucked out. It fueled the fire of inflation because it kept all that money that would have been going towards student loan repayment into going towards other products and services. Okay. And that's why we have inflation. Right. And then if the Fed would have went to sat on the rear ends and said, yeah, you know, this inflation is transitory, which is what they said, which means don't worry about it. It'll all sort itself out. Well, that didn't work out too well. So instead, <laughs> you talk to any, you know, you know, you talk to you talk to anybody in the financial world. They will tell you that there was too much money. Ask Ray. Right. There's too much. You know, he, he kind of knows his stuff, too. There was too much money pumped into the system and there was no clawback for it if you didn't need it. Okay, that was the problem, right? I get it, pumping the system and keep the system going great. But if you got money and you didn't need it because your job wasn't impacted and you're a business and you took that money and put it into your payroll account, even though you had a record year, but if you put it into your payroll to cover your payroll, wink, wink, nod, nod, you didn't have to pay it back, that's wrong, right? Right? So I've got hardcore Republicans who hate Democrats and all their fiscal policies, got these money, all this PPP money. I'm like, you got your PPP money? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, don't you hate government spending and government waste? Yeah. Well, wasn't that, you know, once you consider you getting money in the home improvement field who had a record banner years in 2020 and 2021 because everybody was sitting in their home and seeing what they hated about their home and had all this money coming in from their employer and and all of this uh, supplemental money coming in from the government, and you got a huge check that you put into your payroll account even though you're having a record year. Isn't that wrong? Yeah, but uh, I'm, not, I'm like, are you going to give it back? Nah. I'm like, well, then you're a hypocrite. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, it was just, mm-hmm. there was no way to claw it back. So there was so much money, right? And when you put that much money in, right, that's what caused inflation. There's more dollars chasing fewer goods. It's supply and demand 101, microeconomics. It drives the cost, macro, micro, macro, whatever the hell it is. It drives the cost up, right? So where are we at now, Right. So what happened? Interest rates dropped to 2.5%. Everybody refinances and everybody runs out to buy a home. There's 20 people in line to buy every home, waiving mortgage contingencies, waiving um, uh, home inspections, waiving uh, appraisal contingencies. And what does that do? Well, if you have 20 people out there to buy your home, you're, you know, a $300,000 home goes for three fifty to three seventy five because of lack of supply. Now you got rates at seven and a half, eight percent. Homes are sitting. Shocking, right? That same mm-hmm. three, four hundred thousand dollar mortgage today costs you a thousand dollars more a month than it did at the beginning of the year. Okay. Well, guess what? A lot of people don't have an extra genote laying around on a monthly basis to pay for that house, right? Mm-hmm. On top of the fact that, on top of the fact that. Real estate taxes don't seem to ever go down in this state, right? Insurance costs keep going up. So it, it's just a function of that's why we're at where we're at. The student loan debt should have been paid back earlier. That would have taken out billions of dollars out of the monthly economy right away, okay? The, the, the forbearance should have been stopped sooner, okay? And the foreclosure moratorium should have been lifted sooner, Because now what do you have? Again, I've talked about this in nauseam. You've got homeowners that have investment properties that couldn't sell their homes last year, that the first chance they had to sell their home was at the beginning of this year as rates are increasing and lending guidelines got tighter because all the lenders saw a change in the dynamic of the marketplace and started putting in 
extra layers to secure financing to protect their rear ends, rightly so. Right? These guys aren't dumb at these banks. They saw a slowdown coming. They know that, if we're, listen, we're already in a recession. Call it what it is. I know you can't say recession before the election you know, next week, but we're, we're basically in a recession. Okay, you, you've but, got but in a recession, down. wouldn't we expect like massive layoffs to be coming from companies and they're coming. With the ex- they're coming. With the ex- Facebook, they're coming. I know, laid off a bunch of people. Elon Musk they're is about coming. to lay off a bunch of people. But, you know, I'm they're reading, I, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal every day and they're talking about employee hoarding, people trying to figure out how they can keep their employees, make them happy. Somebody I know said their boss reached out to them recently and they were like nervous. And the boss was like, are you happy? What can I do to make you happier? I mean, that doesn't sound like a recession. It's coming. Okay. Race for impact. Okay. I'm just, I, I called this thing all the way through. Okay. I'm not, I'm not like Mr. Clairvoyant here. I'm just telling you, I got a call from a guy that does inspections on real estate owned properties for banks, which means that they're foreclosed properties that the servicers want this guy to go out to make sure that the house is in, in good shape. He had 700 inspections on the books uh, in, in October, right? He's got 1,700 on the books in November. He had a thousand house increase property. One thousand properties were increased. His business increased by a thousand properties from Halloween to November first. So the servicers were calling him. He's like, "Hey, you've done such a great job. We want to give you additional business." He went from seven hundred properties to inspect with his team. On, and he's got to inspect them like every week to 10 days to make sure the property is in good shape to 1700. You've got Apple, Google, Microsoft, all the Intel, Dell, all of them cut their recruiting uh, offices 90 days ago. They shut them down. They're talking about mass layoffs in San Francisco that, you know, where all the IT jobs are, right? Where, you know, where the Silicon Valley starts. There's mass layoffs coming. Okay, my friends in the steel mills have told me that I came from the scrap industry. I got friends in the industry. Why is that important? Because the steel mills are slow. That that's a forecast of what's going on. The price of scrap has dropped nine months in a row. And the Wait a minute. So you're saying steel. the price of scrap oh, and I, steel is an early indication that what we're not building as much. Here. Exactly. And the and the demand for and the production of cold rolled steel. What's cold rolled steel? Cold rolled steels are those thin, uh, thick layers, thin circular uh, coils that you see on the back of steel trucks that go to wrap uh, consumer goods like washers, dryers, refrigerators, cars. So if the demand for cold rolled steel is down and it is, that means that the demand for those products that they're getting stamped and getting wrapped, washer, dryer, refrigerators, cars, are not in such high demand. I'll give you another one. My lease is up in March. For what? I called up my guy that I... For it, your car? coming March, my, my, my car lease, right? Mm-hmm. I called my guy. I'm like, yeah, I'll take the same car I've been driving for the past, you know, 15 years. Just give me all the bells and whistles, upgrades, whatever, you know, whatever's new and exciting. But I want the same car, same color, same everything, Right. So I call him. I'm like, what's the, what's the cost of the car? And he kept avoiding me. So I call the F&I guy. I'm like, Gino, what's the cost of the car? I'm like, what's my basis at now? He's like, well, your, your lease base is at 2.625. I'm like, well, price it out at 7.5 because that's probably where it's going to be. He's like, your payment's going to double. 
I go, well, what? Ha- I go, I go, well, that, that ain't going to happen. I go, what if I buy the car? He's like, well, if you buy the car off a lease, your payment drops by 50%. Call my salesman back. I'm like, now I know why you didn't want to tell me what the cost of the car was. Cancel the car. I'm buying, I'm buying my lease out. Okay, so there's one car of thousands that got canceled because I asked the question, right? I, I went six months in advance. It's March. I started now. I, I know that rates aren't going to come down in March. I'm not going to be going into a car. My payment's going up by 50%. I'll, I'll buy the damn thing and, and, and ride this thing out. So that's what your, 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 your listeners have to start thinking of these things. We're going into some rough waters. Okay, we're already into the soup right now. You're going to start seeing breakers coming over the side at 25, 40 feet going into Christmas time, Hanukkah and Kwanzaa. And if you're not ready for it, and I'm not trying to scare the hell out of everybody, but if you think that you're going to go out there and start shopping and everything's great and everything's wonderful and you start buying stuff, put it on your credit card, which your listeners are doing, and they don't have the money to do it, come January, you got you got some very bad things coming your way with this economy and if you don't brace for impact and prepare you're going to be in for a rude awakening because if you screw up your credit and you don't do what i'm advising you to do when the rates drop and they will drop because they always drop i've been doing this 21 freaking years they always drop when they run up you're going to be in a worse spot because your credit's going to be destroyed and you're not going to be able to refinance when the rates come down because you kept living you know in never never land Okay, we need to take a break uh, for news at the top of the hour. I want when we come back. Well, I was this kind of ties together because in in one of your ads that airs on our station, you talked about an emergency fund and people having a rainy day fund. Um, I want to talk about what what size rainy day fund, what what kind of expenses we should think about. And also the larger issue, you know, you see what you see, and I trust your judgment coming down the pike. What's I want you, when we come back, to tell us the smartest way to prepare. I'm talking to David Hochberg. We're going to be back with more right after this. There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. This hour of Joan Esposito Live, Local, and Progressive is brought to you by Team Hawkberg. If you want to buy a house or refinance a house, call 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. On WCPT 820. I'm joined by David Hochberg, who, of course, is who we tell you all the time to reach out to for any kind of loan, mortgage, refinance, VA loan, reverse mortgage, um, he is somebody that not only is an advertiser here, but somebody who I have used personally and had a very good experience with um, with the people who work for David. Uh, uh, we are talking about the Fed raising interest rates yesterday and signs that David sees pretty clearly that we are headed into a recession. If you heard his ad earlier today... He was talking about um, maintaining an emergency fund. Um, David, how do we calculate how much money we need for rainy day expenses? 
Yeah, if you can, right? And I'm not I'm not naive enough to realize that a lot of our listeners right now are having financial challenges, but if you don't have financial challenges right now, a rainy day fund should equate to at least six months of your mortgage or rent payments and, and utilities. If you really want to be secure, you should have a 12-month cushion to cover your rent, utilities, and or mortgage and utility payments. That would be ideal. Okay, so here's the other thing, right? The challenge is, I just talked to a lady who's going through a divorce. Um, her husband, soon-to-be ex-husband, rolled up their credit cards unbeknownst to her, and she now has a $15,000 credit card uh, um, balance, which is costing her about $600 a month. Well, that $600 a month in this this environment is the equivalent of about an eighty or $90,000 mortgage payment. So... What, what our listeners need to realize is is that if you do have credit cards, there's nothing wrong with credit cards when used effectively, but to have an emergency fund and have balances on your credit cards, it, you know, I'm, I'm going to say something that might upset some people, but I would use that emergency fund, pay down your credit card, right? To mm-hmm. eliminate a $600 payment, right? The trick is don't go reload now what you're doing is now you're saving $600 a month and not having to pay that credit card debt to build your emergency fund back up, right? And by paying off right. that $15,000 credit card that was fully maxed out and was crushing her credit scores, it's going to instantaneously jack up this, this uh, lady who's going through a divorce from a deadbeat piece of crap husband, soon to be ex-husband. It's going to help her enhance her credit scores to refinance him off of the mortgage when the divorce is final. So these are the things, you know, that that emergency fund, six months principal interest taxes, insurance, and utilities, it's great if it's sitting there, but, you know, if you could use that money to pay down a credit card as well, put yourself into a better financial situation, and without going back and loading up the credit card, if you're just going to take that emergency fund and pay down your credit card and reload, then keep the money away from yourself and put it into a safe account and don't touch it. Right. So mm-hmm. it's just two different strategies. If you don't have any self-control, put it in a savings account. Don't touch it. If you do have control and you have a pretty safe job and you're going to focus on paying down your debt, hey, you know, paying off your credit cards is job one, two, three, four, and five. But the three things that impact your the rate that you get on your mortgage are credit scores, credit scores, and credit scores. Or what about paying? Should you pay off your car loan, too, if you can? I want, I want. No, I would. No, no. If if you've got, if a car loan, car loan is actually a good thing on your credit report, right? So if you've got a couple of three months left, really, yeah, it, it's not. It, yeah, it's. Not, oh yeah. If you if you pay off a car loan, I've seen paying off car loans knock knock people's credit scores down because they're losing an installment loan that they've been a good payer on. So here, it all depends, right? If your car loan is three is is six hundred to a thousand dollars a month, right? And you've got a couple three hundred, you know, six hundred or a couple of grants sitting in the bank that's earning you nothing, and you want to eliminate that payment, and you have good credit, sure, take the two, you know, you take the money out of your bank account and knock out the car loan. If you have other lines of credit, if you're trying to build your credit, paying off a car loan could hurt your credit. Believe it or not. Huh. So if you want to buy a new car, 
Is it is it are you hurting yourself if you buy a new car and you pay cash? Should you take no. out a loan? Well, if you've got the cash and you know, miss money bags like you are, you know, you're just correct. You know, you <laughs> yeah. Well, no, part of the reason I ask is because Ray has a really old Jeep that he's driving and he's been sure. wanting to get something. And I've, you know, me, I'm, I hate, I get really nervous owing money of any kind. And so I was, you know, he's like looking at stuff and I'm like, well, you know, what about something that we don't have to finance? You know, is there anything like any kind of used car? How old does it have to be if we can buy it without financing? Are you saying that I should I should not be so anal about that? Yeah, well, well, I, I've been telling you, you shouldn't be that anal about things for years. But I'm just saying there. <laughs> but but you're but but you're risk averse to debt. Nothing wrong with that, Right. I love playing with other people's money. That's just me, right? If you're going to loan me money at 2.5%, buy a car back in the day, and I'm going to take your money, and I'm going to, because, because today I could buy a Govy bond right now in the high fours, fives, and make more money putting my money into a, a tax-free government bond, right? So if a car dealership, but the problem is there's not too many car dealerships offering 2 3 4% money on cars today. Right, I think Ford is still offering some opportunities out there if you qualify. So it's all about time value of money and, and how you use your money. And if you like debt, fine. If you don't like debt, then pay cash. Or if you don't like debt and you can put a lot of money down on a car or a house and you can keep your payment low, there's nothing wrong with that either. You can't have one set. There's not one shoe that fits everybody's foot when it comes to debt. Okay, here, if you're driving a car from from 2001 with 175,000 miles on it, it's in the shop every month, and it's costing you 500 to 1,000 bucks to keep the thing going, I mean, it comes a time where you gotta put you got to put the horse down, right? I mean, <laughs> so you're going to need a new car because the car that you're driving is just costing you too much money to maintain, and it, it doesn't make sense anymore. You get to a point where it's, it, it just, it's better to invest in a new car because you're going to have less downtime and less aggravation and having to worry about if your car is going to start when it's 20 below with the windshield. Okay, well, right? we, we so, have some callers who've been waiting, but I have one more really basic question to ask you. It, you know, back in the days when they really wanted to sell cars and they offered zero APR, which I understand it to me, they'll get they'll lend you the money for the car, but they're not going to charge you any interest. Does that count yeah. as a loan? I mean, on your when it comes yeah. to your credit report, is that a loan huh? or not? Because there's no interest. No, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a trade line on your credit report. You know, if they want to give you a loan at zero percent financing or one nine or nine nine point nine nine or two point nine, it shows up. You sign the sign the loan documents, get the car, and you start, and you'll get a bill, and you start paying on it. Yeah, I mean, if somebody wants to give you zero percent financing, drive their car, <laughs> game on. Um, hmm. All day long. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do that, right? You're driving, driving a car, you know, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar brand new car, whatever the car costs. That's typically on a new car or a truck, um, you know, because they want to move inventory and get rid of their inventory. You haven't had that problem in the car industry in the past two and a half years because you can't keep cars on the lots because of the chip shortage, right? Oh yeah, so, yeah. Been, you know, there haven't been too many car great car opportunities out there for financing because you know, they've been able to sell everything they make and stuff they haven't made they're selling. 
Okay. So, you know, just but but yes, if somebody I've got to stop asking you my questions cuz uh, we're starting to these are starting to be like planes circling over O'Hare, uh the callers yeah. who well, want to get through to you. Guests, <laughs> just tell your 4:30 guest to call tomorrow. Uh, you know what? You make a good point. Uh, we'll take one call and then we'll come back and see. We can do like a lightning round. Um, yeah. Ken from Lombard has a question for you about paying off a mortgage. Ken, you're on with me and David Hochberg. Hey, Ken. Yeah. Uh, hi. Um, I just wanted to see what David's opinion on on this was. When I I looked at refinancing in the past, when I could get a lower rate, but being towards the end of a mortgage or towards the end of a car loan. It seems to me that the effective rate is actually lower because you're paying more and more principal. So even sure. though it's a fixed rate of, let's say, 4% to start with, by the end, you have really a lower rate loan. Well, it, it has to do with what, where can you invest that money that you're going to pay off the car, and can you earn more money that, or a mortgage at 4%. If you're going to earn more money investing it in, in, in another investment that's going to earn you 4%, you're kind of silly to pay off your mortgage, right? And if you have a good financial planner today, that financial planner could get you some type of muni bonds, tax-free muni bonds in the high fours, low fives. So why would you then pay off a 4% mortgage when you can earn more money putting that money someplace else to work for you? But even if you could invest your money at 3%, um, your 4% loan may be actually effectively 2% at this point since you're towards the end of it. Well, sure, but you already paid the interest, you know, front load of the interest. It comes down to a payment, but right? If you want to get rid of the payment yeah. and if you can earn more money, it all comes down to the opportunity cost of leverage. If you could take whatever you're paying in the car loan or in the mortgage in this case and earn more money than what your mortgage payment is, my opinion, you take that money and you invest it someplace else. Because in the long okay, run, you okay. can have more money. Thanks for the call, Ken. We're going to take a break. Um, We're going to be back with more callers right after this. Stephanie Miller. Trump is what also a despicable yeah. piece of. Did yes. you see him live covering his own verdict, laughing? And they're going to never see the money. There's no money. <laughs> oh, they'll find money. They will. If you Suck think justice dry. doesn't matter, he is done. You can garnish wages. You can go after everything now. Uh, it just because he's hiding money in a bunch of shell companies does not mean. And I know people are like, oh, he'll just you know appeal now and appeal, and this will go on forever. No, he is after. Stephanie Miller, weekday mornings, eight to eleven on WCPT eight twenty. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm joined by David Hochberg. We are taking listener questions. Brian is calling in from Kankakee. Hey, Brian, you're on with me and David Hochberg. What is it you wanted to talk about? Well, I've got a a plan to fight inflation and slow down the economy that I think David would love. Um, We're depending too much on the Fed and interest rates uh, to fight inflation, slow down the economy. Understand that what we're doing by jacking up interest rates, we're punishing poor working class and middle class people. We're the debtors and we're rewarding rich people. You got capital. Hey. You get more return on your capital. Let's keep fighting inflation. What's what's not to love? Well, there's another way. We could go after inflation fiscally. We stimulated the economy fiscally. We could slow it down fiscally. 
And my suggestion is that we rescind the Trump era tax cuts, which are mainly tax cuts on the wealthy and all that added revenue. We sit on it. Okay, well, let's let's get David to weigh in on this, David, if we were somehow legally assuming we could uh, erase those tax cuts and we got a little bit more money at the federal level, would that help us out? Well, sure. But but the problem, I, I agree with with everything that this gentleman stated, right, uh, that the middle class is one that's getting crushed and the people with the money, it's not impacting them at all. OK, because they're just taking their cash and buying bonds. Right. And they're investing it at higher at higher interest rates. Right. Challenge that you have is if you give the government a dollar, they're going to spend it before they get it. OK, so you're not sitting on anything. It's just going to go back out. And that's part of the problem. And that's part of the challenge that the men and women down at Wall Street are saying. Right. All of this, all of the spending that's happening, but not enough to back it up. So that it's it, I, I agree with the gentleman saying the middle crash, the middle class, the blue collar workers are getting crushed because they're the typically the ones that are running with the twenty to sixty thousand dollars with credit card debt. Their credit card debt is now costing them more money. They sent you something before the segment, Joan. Every ten thousand dollars that um, our listeners have on their on their home equity line of credit is costing them about thirty two dollars more a month than it did in March. Right. Well, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you multiply it, most of our listeners have still forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars on their home equity line of credit. That's now one hundred and eighty to two hundred dollars a month times twelve months. It's an extra twenty four hundred dollars you know a year it's it's it, you know you know these numbers start getting bigger right and then there's only so much money that's coming in that needs to go out to cover these expenses so we we need to have a reckoning in this country and an honest conversation about what's going on instead of both sides pointing at each other and yelling so when that happens we'll be fine um well now that david has found his zen place let's go back to the phone lines and uh <laughs> steve from the gold coast is calling to join the conversation hey steve you're on with david hochberg and me yes i want to make a couple of points uh, one with regard to uh, possibly purchasing an automobile if in fact the economy does slow as your guest predicts then that means you're going to see a flood of you know recently new cars that are just barely used on the market at a remarkable discount because tons of people, especially in cities like Chicago, you know that found themselves not wanting to use public transportation, or moving back out to the suburbs or whatnot, bought cars that they're not going to be able to afford any longer, not want as things change. So you're going to have this dump of cars on the market, which means you're going to have a, a lot of bargains out there. Uh, that's point one. Two, I, I think that, you know, unfortunately, the issue is a lot more complex than, you know, anyone wants to admit. You know, we just had the third quarter report with regard to the growth in the economy, and it exceeded virtually everyone's expectation. We've got, according to The Economist, there are two jobs for every person out there who's looking for a job. And 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 the reality is that, uh, that even if you had an increase in terms of unemployment, if we went from 3.5%, which is where we are, it's 50-year low, to 4.5%, that would still be a great unemployment rate. So you can afford to actually see a, a decrease in, in job growth in this country and still have a very robust job market. Because, again, you know, we need to remember what, what the Fed is trying to accomplish here. It's a balancing act between the, the scourge that is inflation and then, but not, uh, but in the hopes of not plunging us into a recession. And the question is, okay, if it's a recession, is it a soft landing? 
So, in other words, it's possible to have a three-month or six-month recession, and then you bounce back very quickly as opposed to a recession that lasts for years. So all of these are the nuances that everyone's sort of debating within economics, and there is no answer. And part of it, and the other thing is that this is not, this is not something that's, uh, that's limited to the United States. There's a global inflationary problem, and it's much more acute in places like Europe. And China's re- readjusting its philosophy with regard to its economy, and so much of what we have been buying so cheaply for so many years came from China, and now the supply just isn't there. So, of course, you know, things went through the roof. It's not just that there's a lot of money chasing less product. It's there, there's literally less product coming from places like China. So, yeah, it, it, it's very complex, and I wish you could find an economist who could be able to tell you, I'm certain that this is going to happen, but that person doesn't exist. Correct. Spot on. And, and the other challenge that we have is, is that as we get through the ships that are sitting off the port of Los Angeles, I think we, at the peak, we were in the 80s. We're now down to, I think, seven or eight or nine and, and the experts predict that all the backlog will be done and caught up with by March of next year, which is good, right? Because then you'll have a steady flow of products coming in. But like this gentleman just said, the the, the products are not being made in, 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 the, in the same level of production as they were in China because they've got different restrictions over there. And then you would think you would have all these boats and vessels available, and then your, your freight costs would drop down. Uh, a, a container used to cost a company here in the Chicagoland area, anywhere 1500 to $3,000, jacked up to over $25,000 to move that same uh, shipping container. And guess who pays the cost of that? So now what these shipping companies are doing, Joan, and it's a corporate greed thing, is that instead of keeping all of these ships out, out at sea and driving the cost down, they've said that they're going to take the ships and put them and dry dock and, and dock them. So cut the supply of ships down to keep the costs of the uh, of the freight high. So I, it, it's just it's like the gentleman just said. It's not as a complex situation that we could solve in 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 in, a, in an hour conversation on the radio. Plus, you got that lunatic in Russia who who's using Ukraine as his little bastard stepchild, right? And so he's displaced millions of people, caused commodity prices to skyrocket. And he's screwing around with food, you know, playing. Let's, you know, let's see who's going to blink first on grain shipments out of Ukraine into third world countries that are starving and need the grain. I mean, you've got. It's like you got the nut nutcases running the world here, or having a bigger say when they should be put under somebody's foot and get their ass kicked, right? But that's a whole other story for another, you know, a whole whole another conversation. Okay, real quick, let's try to get in one more call here. Uh, Debbie is calling in from Old Town. She has a question for you, David. Go ahead, Debbie. Yep. Hey, thank you so much for taking my call. I really enjoy your information. Um, Thank you. Okay, I have a loan that is from Discover, and it's a personal loan, and it's at three point nine nine percent. I have other credit card loans that that I, I I get that I should pay off right away. But is this one good debt or bad debt, like a car payment? Well, well, here if if you take it out to pay off other debt because it's a lower interest rate card, right? Congratulations on getting a three nine nine card. Be careful with that because some of those cards have life expectancy uh, expiration dates, and they typically have higher monthly payments because of the lower rate. So just, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to educate you on the 
pitfalls that are out there, right? The trap doors and you might step in. If you could borrow 399 and pay off a 16 to 20% credit card, hey, God bless you. You pay your debt off quicker, right? I, there, I, I see nothing wrong with that, right? If you take out a 399 card because you want to go, you know, reload on stuff that you don't need and blow and blow through that money that you got on, on items that you don't need to survive, I think it's a bad move, right? So if you opened up that Discover loan, at 3.99, and you paid off higher interest rate credit cards, just like the guy I talked to earlier. If you know, you know, why pay off a four percent mortgage if you could get five percent money someplace else, right? Now you're doing the exact opposite. You're borrowing at 3.99 or whatever, and getting and getting liquid, right? An unsecured loan, which is huge. You're paying off higher to higher price debt. That's the smartest thing you could do. High five to you. That's that that that's a great move as long as you're not reloading and you're focusing on paying off your debt. And the best thing that you could do after you pay off that debt and that credit card, don't shut that credit card down. You have to keep that credit card open because if you shut the credit card down after paying off that credit card that's been beating you over the head like a drum, right? For all these years, keeping a balance on that credit card, then all of a sudden you get it down to zero and you shut it down. You've just completely wiped out all the benefits of paying off that credit card. Okay. Does that make sense? I, I, I kind of get everything you're saying. One of the questions, okay, let me just, just get, get a little more. Um, well, Debbie, I, we don't have time, I'm sorry, okay. to get into a, a second tier here. Um, we, are, we are up here, against Debbie, it. Debbie, here. Debbie and anybody else, if you got any questions, I don't mean to cut you off. I know you got to jump to a break. Debbie and anybody else got any questions, please call me. Right, I'll, I'll talk to you for as long as we need to talk, and we're not up against a commercial break. It's eight five 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 six David, which is eight five 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 six three two eight four three. I'd rather answer all your listeners' questions, Joan, today, so they have the right answers today, so they don't make mistakes that hurt them in the future. Amen to that, David. Sticker. Thank you. you make that into a bumper sticker, Joan. <laughs> yes, you should. It is always a delight to have you on. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you so much for helping all of our listeners out uh, the way you do. Uh, David Hochberg, um, we are going to take a break. We're going to be back with more right after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Weeknights from 5 to 6 p.m. on WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We know what that music means. It's Thursday. It's time to talk to Eric Zorn about the Picayune Sentinel. Eric Zorn, by the way, just got back from fiddle camp. So I don't know. Maybe he wants to redo his intro. Maybe he learned something especially snazzy at fiddle camp. Did you, Eric? I was actually thinking about that, Joan, that I, it probably might be time for me to do that. Uh, <laughs> update. that. That recording is several years old now, and I'm, I've been studying since then. And, uh, yeah, maybe I'll, uh, I'll upload you a, a snazzier theme song. So, What did you learn uh, at yeah, Fiddle Camp? Uh, we, 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 I studied a lot with uh, – there's a fiddler there, Riley Calcagno. He's uh, one of the hot young fiddlers in the country, and he was there teaching uh, advanced fiddle. And we studied for four days and learned some really hard material that I've, of course, forgotten. 
And uh, but most of the rest, most of the rest of the time, we spent sitting around in circles playing tunes that we all know, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a long drive. It was twelve hours down there and twelve oh. hours back. And uh, uh, but uh, and I didn't have anyone to go with me, so I had to, I did it all by myself. But it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, I hope to do it next year. You know, Eric, um, they have airplanes that travel to a lot of places. Um, well, they do. They. They do, except you know what? I would have to fly like to Pittsburgh, and it's probably about a four-hour drive from Pittsburgh. It's, it's it's out in the middle of nowhere, really, and and uh, so I, I feel like well, to fly to get to the airport and fly to Pittsburgh and rent a car for the week uh, it'd be kind of expensive. <laughs> I don't. I actually don't mind long car trips, even by myself. Um, I got a lot to listen to. I listen to podcasts. I listen to books, audio books. I listen to music. I do the kind of the time. The time kind of goes. So, um, so it works. It's uh, it, it was fun. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad that's, you had uh, a good that's, time. That's and actually, I do the same thing when I I do a long car trip. Yeah, like um, yesterday was it just yesterday? My God, it feels like forever ago. Yesterday, I drove down to Grundy County to do a remote, and I was listening to Braiding Sweetgrass on my on my um, my phone connected to my car. And it, I love to listen to nonfiction, and uh, that one I'd been reading a lot about. So I, I understand. I understand, though, personally, I think I would rather be beaten by a stick than be in a car for 12 hours. But, hey, that's just me. I have a strategy though. What I do is I, I make it so that I make sure that I stop every hour, even if I don't feel like stopping. I'll stop, pull over, get out of the car, maybe just walk around the car a little bit, take a break, so that I don't ever get really road weary. And mm-hmm. uh, and that, that 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 works really well. I I got to I got to recommend by the way the Tribune's podcast. I'm not, I'm not with the Tribune anymore, so this isn't an in house thing. But they, they they have a podcast, an eight part podcast series on the Tylenol murders. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and it's it was really well done, and uh, and you know, it was it was what forty some years ago now that yeah. uh, you know, people around in the Chicago area were opening up their Tylenol bottles and taking a Tylenol and dropping dead, and uh, they have uh, they've really pushed the story forward, and I, I would not be surprised if there's an indictment coming up. So I recommend that. That's a good that's a good you know three or four hours of listening right there. So, <laughs> okay. if, you get, if you got a car if you got a car trip coming up. And you're not listening okay. to WCPT if you're if you're out of range of WCPT. That's that's what you yes, say. of course. Though you can actually um, use the app on your phone and have Bluetooth connected with your car and continue to listen to WCPT no matter where you travel. Um, so you know, for those of us who are maybe more technically proficient. Yes, I, I'm going to go old school here about you know, tuning in the radio. But yeah. Okay. Hey, I wanted to ask you uh, to talk about. Your first article for the Picayune Sentinel today is something that a lot of people have been wrestling with now that the Elon Musk has taken over Twitter is whether or not to stay. And I've been kind of going back and forth about it. I, uh, I do know, though, only from anecdotal evidence that lots of people have already bolted. I read on a newsletter called Popular Information written by Judd Legum, who's a brilliant guy who always follows the money and can tell you when companies and corporations are being hypocritical. And uh, he mentioned that he has, uh, as soon as the sale went through, 5,000 people who followed him on Twitter just disappeared. Uh, the other one who mentioned it, I also follow Politics Girl, who I think is wonderful. She talks about common sense politics and um, policy. 
And she didn't say how many um, followers on Twitter she'd lost, but she posted a tweet saying, look, you know, I'm seeing my numbers go down. I realize a lot of you don't want to be here with Elon Musk. So here's a tweet and you open up this link and here's five other platforms you can follow me on, which I thought was an interesting way to handle it. But you say you're going to stick it out. I'm sticking it out for now because mm. I find that there's a, a, a quite a bit of good, useful content on Twitter. I, I curate jokes from there every week and have a little poll for my readers. Um, and I also think there's some really good political commentary that you can find. Uh, there's breaking news that you have and videos that you might have missed. Um, and I like to do things like follow news events live. Uh, courtroom trials are, are excellent. Yes. You, you've got, you've got or people like, city council uh, Nathan, meetings. If I'm not yeah. somewhere where I can watch the feed from the clerk's office, which is also great fun, um, who is it? Is it Kelly Bauer or Hannah Mizell? Um, one of them. Probably, and sometimes Greg Kelly, Pratt Kelly, a little yeah. bit. And I just Pratt, it's, we'll, we'll do it. Well, mm-hmm. and also also Heather Sharon. Uh, yes, from, that's who it 11. is. Heather, that's the one I go to first. Um, and it's it's I love I love it's like. You know, um, following it in real time without actually having to be there. It's wonderful. Yeah, it is. And, they, and they, of course, they're smart enough. All those people you mentioned are smart enough to know what's important and what's just, you know, a resolution to honor Mother's Day or something. So they will keep you posted as to what's really going on, what's what's really happening. I, I love Twitter for that. And that's the only I mean, you could, I suppose, do it on Instagram or, or Facebook, but I don't think so. Um, I keep it open during sporting events. Uh, if, if I'm watching, say, uh, Michigan football, which is my alma mater, and I have uh, I have the hashtag up and I see what all the other fans are saying, it's like watching with a bunch of a bunch of friends, a bunch of fellow fans, or sitting in the stands around people who are, who are yelling out things about the game. So that's really fun. And also if there's a, a breaking story that's happening, like a storm, you can just kind of follow it because most of these news organizations, including including the Tribune, will post little news items, post little updates before they actually generate them into stories. So I, I find a lot of value in Twitter. And, I, and I, what I did today at, at the Picayune Sentinels, I, I, I gave five tips to people for having a better experience on Twitter. Um, and, and one of them is, of course, to avoid your main feed which is where all the ads are, where things sort of random things come in at you that the algorithm has picked out. And what you can do is you can curate your own feed by creating lists. And I've got a link telling you how to do that. It's not hard, but but uh, by the so way, I've, I've got a yeah. I have to I have to tell you because I was reading through this because I'm still on Twitter as well. And what which which was it was the notifications where you instru- instructed us. And even though you might think that you gave us step-by-step idiot instructions, I couldn't follow them. Um, I couldn't find settings and support. <laughs> um, I couldn't, you know, and I couldn't find this list that you've checked. Um, so I'm going to keep working on it. But well, you know, you've, in, you've, in, you've inspired me, John. I, what I'll do, what I'll do, uh, maybe next in next Tuesday's edition is I'll I'll post screenshots, images of what it's going to, what it looks like on your screen, because that can be really helpful. Like, this is what your screen will look like. This is where the icon is. I, I, I think you're probably right. It was a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, impenetrable how I described it. Um, but, it but, but essentially what, what I'm telling people to do is, is you create these, these lists, and you also mute notifications from people who, you don't, fo- who don't follow you or you don't follow. Uh, and and that way you you keep all the people who want to just throw rocks at you. And this is one of the performative sports on Twitter is people just want to they just want to 
go at you and try to ratio ratio you by by putting a lot of critical comments underneath the tweet. I don't I don't care about that. I, if I don't follow somebody, then I I probably don't care that much what they think. I do mm-hmm. publish my email address if someone wants to write to me. My Facebook. Uh, uh, comment sections are open if people want to talk to me. And I did, like today I wrote about this thing at the hideout. Uh, I don't know if you've talked yeah. about that on your show. But, no, we but haven't talked about, about that on the show. But I thought your what you wrote was the most reasonable and lucid description of what happened and perhaps how it could have gone a little better that I've read so far. For the listeners, real quick, uh, there's been a controversy at the hideout. An employee there who's African-American quit and posted a letter saying that he was a toxic environment and he felt that he was hired as a token. The owners apologized and said they really wanted to work to make it a better workplace, but all these artists started canceling and the hideout has said that they're going to close for a hiatus. They hope to reopen in 2023, um, but they are shortly uh, closing their doors and it's, you know, it's been a bad situation all around. Yeah, the one one correction I would make is that he was fired. He didn't quit. Oh, but that's I mean, right. That's, and, You're and, right. And that's part of it. But 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 yeah, you you summarize it very well. The um, the situation is that that everybody's actions seem to be based on these two social media posts that this former employee made about his experience there, and apparently he had a, he had a bad experience, and it was very stressful for him, and and uh, things did not go well with management there, and so. All these people in town, you know, the, the people who are even with journalistic credentials who appear at the hideout decided they weren't going to appear at the hideout anymore at, because of these allegations, even though the owners offered a fairly gracious, uh, you know, regrets that this had happened and a willingness to, to, to remediate and try to accommodate not this necessarily this employee, but to figure out what people's problems were with the hideout and whether there are things that they need to change. Everybody, all these performers decided that they were just going to leave and, and not do their shows, which is now forcing the hideout to close. If you know where the hideout is, it's over there in the Lincoln Yards area. It's, it's, it's kind of a, it's almost like a children's story. You've got this little humble nightclub in the middle of this Lincoln Yards development, and they're not selling. They're, they're planning to stay there. It's going to be this, this, this really interesting you know, contrast between this club and all the development going on around it. But I don't know if the club can survive now. Uh, this is not the owner's full-time job. It's kind of a side gig for them. There are four of them. So if they can't survive now that they, they've got to close, they're closing down, I think, on Monday, and they're not going to reopen at least till next year. And I don't know what happens to the employees, if they can pay the bartenders and the, and the people, the bookers and everybody else. I can imagine them being tempted just to sell out to Lincoln Yards, which they've been resisting, and just saying, look, we're done with this. We don't need this anymore. And that would be a real shame because the, the hideout has been around for 25 years. It's a great club for alternative you know, rock and folk entertainment. And you know, mm-hmm. was it diverse enough? I mean, those, these, those are good discussions to have. Uh, I think they were trying to diversify their lineup some uh but the, this what i would bother me about this was that i felt like there wasn't a really strong journalistic response to finding out what really happened here and the reader wrote this piece saying it didn't matter what really happened it mattered how this employee felt and that's not a journalistic mm. point the, the, the journalism journalism is about finding out what really happened and and then remediation is about finding out how you can make sure it doesn't really happen again 
And that was my take on it. And just to circle back to Twitter briefly, it's like I haven't been – I may be getting dogpiled on Twitter. I don't know. I don't care because I've got my, my Twitter experience customized so that I don't have to deal with people who just want to you know, call me names and so on. I don't care about that. I don't want to hear it. If someone wants to write me a thoughtful letter, if someone wants to post on my Facebook wall where we can have a conversation, I'm happy to do that. But I'm just not going to sit there and let and uh, you know perch myself on the ledge of the dunk tank so people can can uh, offer their drive-by criticisms. Anyway, that's that's my that's both both major items in one. Right Two there. stories in one. Uh, Eric Zorn and I are going to take a break. We're going to be right back after this. Take Jonas Pazito, live, local, and progressive, with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. I'm talking with Eric Zorn. We uh, talk every Thursday about the Picayune Sentinel, which comes out that day. If you are a paid subscriber, you get an extra edition on Tuesday. This week, because of the remote and everything, Eric, I didn't get a chance to read my Tuesday edition. What did I miss? Well, let's see. What did you miss? I, I'm going to have to catch up on it myself because I... I um... <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you wrote it. I did write it. I just it's it's one of those things where where um, well, what happened was I got back from fiddle camp on late very very late Sunday night, and what I, what I wrote up was a conversation that I had with a, a my housemate there. We lived in houses in this state park in the, in the hills of West Virginia, and he was with my housemate, and he's from Asheville, North Carolina, and he was telling me that he has checked completely checked out of the news. I was telling him, you know, what I did and, and what I had done in my career. And he was saying, that, you know, uh, back in the 80s, I just decided that the news was too stressful. That it took me on this roller coaster ride of, uh, you know, the, the frustration and anxiety. And there's, most of the stories are nothing I could do about it. So I just, I dropped all my subscriptions. I stopped watching uh, TV news. At the time, there wasn't even cable. Remember, CNN didn't come along, I think, until, what, the uh, early 90s, didn't it? When it was, when that, uh, when, when cable really became a big <laughs> I don't thing. But, remember. So, so he just, so he just, he just said he just checked out. He says, I, 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 when things were important happen, my friends tell me about it. I says, I feel like I know enough to cast intelligent ballots. But I, I spend the time that I would have spent reading the news, de- devoting to community organizations, not-for-profits, or, or other things to do with my, my family or my, uh, my, my neighborhood. And he says, I'm just much, much happier, much more relaxed. And uh, he says, he doesn't feel like he's, his, he's missing much of anything. And I just ask people about that. I, I know that people who listen to this radio station and who read my newsletter can probably have a hard time relating to that because we are very attentive to news. We're up on the issues, the personalities, the scandals, the memes, the gossip, and so on. You know, basically, news nerds, right? And mm-hmm. so, we, so we're following the Senate races in, in Georgia and Pennsylvania and things like that. So even though we can't vote in them and even though it's you know it's going to make a big deal what it, when it happens but there's not not much we can do about it right now right we can just like hope and 
and, uh, and, and, and watch the developments and watch the polls. And I mean, the polls make me anxious. I, I, the thing is, I was sort of relating to it because I've been really nervous as a cat about all these polls coming out and how it looks like things are trending to the Republicans and people are forgetting that democracy is in peril and forgetting that reproductive rights are, are on the knife's edge around the country. And they're just more worried about the price of gas. And and uh, so that people are going to be voting on that issue rather than on some of these serious long term issues. And and we know that inflation is going to come and go, and we'll we'll be back to to low inflation again by and by. And we also know that the Republicans don't have a clue how to rein in inflation. Inflation is a global problem. Right. And. And so, I, you know, it's like, and so I, I, as, really as, I don't know if you saw that soundbite from Barack Obama, you know, oh, there's a problem with inflation. Well, let's cut taxes on the rich. Oh, we got a problem with flooding. Let's cut taxes on the rich. He was like, that's yeah. their one policy that they apply to everything. It was really funny, but also true. Yeah, no. And, and so I read those polls. I hear the stories about the polls and I and I. I, I, I get where this guy's coming from, which is like I, I can't do anything about it. How can I? How can I persuade voters in Georgia that Herschel Walker is so unfit to be a senator? Mm-hmm. That this is so it is so ridiculous. And, and I don't feel that way about every Republican that they're unfit. That it's just a disgrace to elect somebody like that who's just he's just going to put on the red jersey and do what he's told, you know, because mm-hmm. he doesn't know anything about public policy. And and so anyway, I get I get worked up about stuff that I that I have no control over, and I'll find out. Next Tuesday night or Wednesday morning or sometime next week, I'll find out who's won that election, who's won Pennsylvania, who's got control of the Senate, and you know how bad the results are for the Democrats in the uh, in the House. I'll, I'll find that all out. Uh, I'm also uh, worried about the uh, Illinois Supreme Court race. That's the one yeah. that's not getting a lot of it's not getting a lot of coverage. But um, no, there's these. It's two, getting a two lot districts. of coverage on my show. I'm trying to remind well, people good. each and every day how, how important it is. One last thing before we end, and I'm going to see if I can figure out a way to make this radio friendly. In uh, today's Picayune Sentinel, you, you've been focusing on voice-to-text fails. My phones have a very dirty mind and 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 cuss like i'll look at a text i've dictated and there's cuss words in it and i didn't say those let me just say that the other day i was going to the jeweler i have this weird clock that needs a special battery and you have to like travel to get it and i realized i didn't have it in the car so i texted ray as i was pulling out of the driveway um bring out the clock there's a uh-huh. body part that is similar to clock. Ray came out and he stood by the car and he showed me my text. <laughs> and I was like, well, okay, but where's the clock? Well, the, the, one, the one that got me writing about this was that uh, I was back in Ann Arbor visiting my folks. My sister lives in town. We were texting about when she should come over for dinner. Uh, and I just texted her and the text came across, sex would be a good time. <laughs> That's a, that's, a, that's a hell of a thing to send to your sister. Uh, and so I asked people for their for theirs, and a couple of ones came across today. One was somebody who said that somebody had texted them to ask what what uh, vet they liked, and they they tried to text "We like pet vets" on Harrison, and the autocorrect was "We like perverts on Harrison." <laughs> so, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I've. Hello. I've 
And, you know, it's funny because I my phone misrepresents what I say so often that I always double check it. But, you know, I was in a hurry. I was just texting Ray. And, uh, you know, how could how could it go wrong? And I got to tell you, his voice, his eyes were big as saucers when he came out of the house. And he was like, is this is this what you sent me? <laughs> well, you know, and the, the, the thing is, like, yeah, if you're texting a, a partner, a spouse, uh, or your sister, yeah. I suppose, they're they're going to understand that. A guy, a guy texted me today that uh, he had, he texted somebody. I can't remember what it was. It was an email, and he said that it came across as as uh, you know, time for the elephant penis, and <laughs> and he sent he sent this out to a, a whole group. Uh, oh via email. no. And and uh, so he had to, he had to walk that back, and he didn't he, you know he had uh, he didn't have quite the uh, <laughs> reservoir of good of goodwill to explain that one away. So oh, so it's very it's, it's, that's painful. You know, voice to text is pretty good, but it's not good enough to trust. No, it is not. And frankly, you know, it's always elephant penis time, don't you think? Really, I'm going to set my watch by that now. Eric Zorn, Picayune Sentinel, comes out every Thursday. Thank you for being here, Eric. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and you've left me with an image I won't soon forget. Uh, Driving at Home with Petty Vasquez is up next. Oh, my gosh, tomorrow's Friday. Whew. See you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Have a great evening. Good night.